You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Howdy, team. Hopefully, everybody is doing okay on this this Thanksgiving Eve, because uh, hopefully you're not working. You're like just chilling out with whoever you're able to chill out with, because I I know I had to adjust my uh, Thanksgiving plans. was originally going to hang out with my parents and my wife's parents, but then we were like, this just doesn't feel right. Just doesn't feel right getting uh, getting together, even though we were going to do like a, a garage hangout, and then uh, yeah, we just uh, we pulled the plug because we didn't feel comfortable with that. But hopefully, you're being safe. You're wearing a mask. You're doing all of those things that us responsible humans uh, are doing, and you're protecting yourself and those of you that are around you. But anyways, enough of the public service announcement, right? <laughs> you came here to, to listen to a discussion with people involved in independent music. And today I have a very important guest, and that person is Aaron Marshall. He plays under the moniker Intervals, which if you are a fan of the, uh, I hate to use this word because like this just makes it sound so pretentious, like the progressive metal genre, <laughs> you are already a fan of Intervals. I do just I, I've been aware of the name and I listened to his stuff previously, but this new LP that just came out called Circadian is is staggering. It is so catchy and good. And I just, I love the, like, it reminds me honestly of the first time that I got into like botch and minus the bear and bands of that nature. I mean, those are obviously that, that those bands are connected clearly, but just like the, the technicality, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan is another one where once you realize that the boundaries can be pushed in so many different ways with aggressive music and I just, oh man. And so intervals just like they, they're doing the damn thing. They basically are like, you know, between the buried and me on steroids with no vocals and it's just, it's so cool. So we talked to him, but let's talk to you. I'm, I'm pointing at you. So you should email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. You can always reach out, offer ideas on, you know, shows that you want to see happen in the future as far as guests are concerned. And, um, you know, anything else you are feeling, if you are feeling lonely, you're just like, Hey, I want to talk about records. Always here for that. And something I'd like to mention as well, uh, on my own personal Instagram, I've been having a ton of fun every weekend, uh, just talking records where I, I show some of my collection, just kind of, you know, put it out there for people. And it's been really fun. This past weekend, I had my friend Joey Cahill, the proprietor of 6131 Records on, and we just nerded out and it was super fun and people seem to enjoy it. You know, I mean, when you, when you got over a thousand views on a video of just, you know, two nerds talking about seven inches, like, <laughs> holy moly. But anyways, I digress, but that that's something that you can do. You can follow me at xpurposex. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's fun. And, uh, yeah, support the companies that are advertising in here. That's, I I can't make that clear enough sometimes because when you support these companies in turn, you're supporting the show, you're helping it grow. You're helping me be able to uh, justify time away from my family in regards to having these discussions. Like, even though realistically, I'm going to have these discussions regardless, and this podcast is always going to remain free. Anytime I'm able to do that to justify the thing is, uh, is helpful and it's awesome. So please do that. I I really believe in these services and products that I'm uh, pitching at you. Like this is not just some, uh, you know, way for me to make money. And you know, (laughs) this is, this is all labor of love, this whole thing. Okay. So Let's talk to Aaron, okay? Because this discussion was really insightful. Um, I didn't know very much about him at all, so uh, it was really you know enlightening for me, and I hope that you enjoy it. So I will talk to you after the episode is over, letting you know what's up for the next week.
more so from a, a kind of a, 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 for lack of a better term, like a, a trend I started to notice where this was maybe, I don't know, probably about two or three years ago, um, where I, I personally have always been kind of drawn to, um, you know, left of center music in regards to like, I mean, I remember when I first, are you familiar with that band Tristeza at all? Have you heard them? No, actually. So it, it's like it, these dudes came out from like the San Diego hardcore scene. They played in bands like The Locust and all this like crazy chaotic stuff. And then they started a band called Tristeza that was like this really loopy, atmospheric, you know, sort of dreamy stuff that was all instrumental. But it was one of those things where it was like, wait a minute, this is weird. It doesn't sound anything like all of their other stuff. <laughs> and it was really interesting because, you know, I, whatever, I was 20 years old when I started to listen to it and I felt like I was ready for instrumental music. Ah. And so you probably see where I'm going with this, where I find it so interesting that, you know, younger people in general, um, you know, from bands like, you know, what you're doing, obviously, and bands like, you know, Cloud Kicker, Covet, Chon, like all of these bands that are really, really pushing the limits of what instrumental music is. But children are attracted to it. And I find it so interesting because like, maybe I'm just reflecting on my own experience, like me at 16 years old was not interested in listening to anything besides like, you know, the most aggressive hardcore or whatever. And so is it interesting for you to kind of watch the evolution of, I guess, how people approach, you know, instrumental music kind of at large and like how, uh, I guess, young the kids are that are getting attracted to it? Or is that something that you're just like, well, I, I, you know, I don't really watch that. I just kind of pay attention to what I'm doing. No, it's definitely, um, it's definitely interesting um, I don't think at 16 or in that age bracket personally that I was like that dialed in to like the instrumental side of things. I think that like, yeah, I just grew up more on like conventional, you know, um, I mean, vocal, vocal, vocally driven and vocal oriented music, of course, but like other than maybe some of the heavy heavy hitters from like the late 80s early 90s like instrumental music at that time when i was around that age wasn't as prevalent so like it was there and you know i had at that point maybe been to a g3 concert like for those who don't know g3 is like steve vai joe satriani and then insert other ridiculous savant legend right. guitar, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you yep. know, and I actually, so my, my dad took me to see the G3 with Yingve Malmsteen at Massey Hall in Toronto. And like, that was, you know, I think prior to that, I had, I had just obsessed over the, the DVDs and stuff. Um, I have the one with Petrucci and I've got the one with Eric Johnson, which I think is my favorite just cause I love Eric, but um, no slight at, at JP, but, Sure. Just that particular iteration of G3 was so crazy. But like that's what instrumental music was to me. It was like, okay, it's guys from the previous school, you know, whether they're like, you know, legends from like the hair metal days or like, you know, I mean, it really actually is just the remnants of like the late 80s, actually just the 80s in general, kind of like Hollywood, like glam and metal kind of scene, really. Um, so there just weren't options for young bands that were like making contemporary instrumental music. And 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 the aesthetic of this music has changed so much like I really feel like um now you know it's less about um it's less about 
proficiency and like virtuosic, you know, technical, um, you know, guitar is a sport kind of vibe. And it's more about, I mean, although there's tons of that in the genre and like, I love it too. And don't get me wrong, but I think now like what sets like the trailblazers apart in our world is like, it's just composition. It's, it's more so like the guitar player is like the maestro of this music that's telling a story without vocal. And like, it just didn't exist then. So, you know, at that time, like if we're going to, you know, if we're just pinpoint, like let's say 16 or something, um, what was I listening to at 16? I mean, I probably just discovered, um, I don't actually hmm, 16. Yeah. I mean, I probably, I was probably getting into protest, the hero. I was mm. probably getting into bands that were, were on the more technical side, of course, you know, vocals and more conventional approach, but like, um, I probably had already discovered bands like strung out and like, I, you know, coming from like listening to punk rock and stuff like that, like finding bands that were playing more technical, um, you know, riff centric music and like, you know, bringing in the crazy guitar stuff. I was just starting to get woke to that type of thing. Like, um, I probably around that time would have got into like city of evil by Avenged sevenfold. I mean, I remember when Avenged Sevenfold and Atreyu were like the bands to watch for in Guitar World magazine and the tiny little yeah. column on the side that you like had to like squint to see, you know, which is, it's crazy. I guess I'm sort of showing my age, but, you know, like that's what was available to me. I came from being excited about the Warp Tour. I was into AFI and like Rancid and like Bad Religion and Anti Flag. And right. shit like that, you know? And it's like, it's funny though, because I was aware of this instrumental world, but it didn't feel, there was, it didn't feel relatable. It's like, these are two different things. Like, this is what guys who are really great from the classic rock and the hair metal days are doing to, you know, showcase their proficiency. And then you have, young music <laughs> it was like just like yeah. this big line in the sand to me no so and, yeah that, that, honestly that's a really really important point and something i didn't really uh think about in those terms but yes you're right that the idea when you see yourself reflected on stage whatever that may mean whether that's like you know you see a, a band that is you know doing something that is you know quote unquote unconventional i.e instrumental music or whatever mm -hmm. and it's not, like you said, it's not a person who is, you know, literally 30 years older than you. And it's something that's like, oh, wow, like there's people that are roughly my age doing it. And then you start to, you know, it, it gets the wheels in motion in the same way that, you know, when you see a band like Strung Out Play where you're just like, well, yeah, clearly they're much better at their instruments than I am. But like, you know, I could probably play some some of those chords and kind of figure it out. So I, I totally, yeah, you're, you're very right. Like the, the more that that, you know, uh, scene proliferates, the more younger kids can get attracted to it because there is that accessibility as opposed to, you know, like you said, just, just dudes, you know, shredding up there and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, there's so many other factors like streaming wasn't a thing. So, you know, you couldn't just find related artists by just leaving your phone on, you know, meandering through playlists and just kind of it wasn't, you know, I mean, we weren't listening to music on phones. So it's just like, I didn't have this intelligent rectangle that just shows me my new favorite band. I had to, I had to like wait three hours on LimeWire to find 
that the thing I just downloaded is just like, you know, not it's the, the thing. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's the wrong MP3. Right? It's not even the thing I thought it was. So, you know, um, on my dial-up internet connection. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't there, right? So now, you know, fast forward to the last... Um, let's say the last five to six years. Um, I remember when Intervals was starting, you know, when I was getting going with all this, which is like nearly a decade ago now, um, feeling like the that there was just so much room to grow because at the time, um, I think Animals as Leaders was really sort of only the, like the only modern instrumental band that was recognized as being like the next sort of like like the front runner in this new wave and the wave didn't even exist at the time because there were no other bands doing it um so you know and 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 really just they i think they just had those accolades because one they're legendary they always have been and always will be but two they're the only band that was like touring at like a label level and of course with them being on Sumerian out the gate and everything like it just set a precedent for like okay this is the band to watch for crazy instrumental music and then of course like eight strings were so new outside of bands like Mashuga and stuff and Tosin and Javier wheeled them like they're nothing so you know it was just so crazy to see that unfolding and then of course like you know there was stuff bubbling up on the internet but you know, I just was like making music with a laptop and a pod and figuring it out. And and to be completely honest, I had never ruled out whether or not it would be fully instrumental. I just don't like waiting around for things. So, you know, the first the first EP um didn't, you know, I don't think it I mean it it's totally something that I'm like I'm I'm proud of. I, I think it's a little rough in terms of like there's a lot of things that if I went back and, and worked on those compositions with the things I know now, but the things I like and the sort of like what, you know, my strong suits are, I would have done things a little bit different, but needless to say, you know, it really got things moving for us. And we started to become a bit of a household name in, in this scene that was sort of emerging. And then the sophomore EP in time was the one that really kicked the door down for us and actually put us on tour. And I remember being on, you know, some of these early tours, 2013 again like i'm describing instrumental music is not widely recognized in that in that like 500 cap to 800 maybe 1000 cap if you're lucky touring scene where you know our first cross canada tour was intervals north lane texas in july structures from halifax to vancouver and right. i remember being like such a sore thumb on that bill even though we're you know we've got there's seven string tunes, you know, sixes are, are tuned down and it's still aggressive and like there's tons of riffs and everything. I I don't think people were ready to like see a band come out and just not have a vocalist and to see us delivering like whole, whole melodies where you could imagine a singer singing it, but there's no lyric. It was just so foreign to people. And, um, started to really win people over. You could see it in the crowd by the second or the third song in the set. You could feel it at the merch table after the show. It's really starting to happen. And then um, I remember doing a tour with... Uh, here's, a, here's a crazy one. It was um, The Kindred Intervals, The Color Morale, Misery Signals. 
Yeah, that, because, well, that's a mixed bag. <laughs> because everyone's booking agents were smoking all of the drugs at the time. No, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> right. Well, it's like everyone everyone fits relatively under the banner of like, yeah, melodicish metal hardcore. We'll there's throw that all together. There's distortion. Yeah, they got <laughs> totally. they got distortion. Yeah, so got, I don't know. They got guitars and <laughs> yeah, pedals. Exactly. So we, I mean, and again, you could just remove us from that bill, and every, everything would totally check out. But I just remember being in like a lot of these, and it was our first official U.S. tour as well. I remember being at, uh, um, oh, what was that venue called? Andrew WK's spot in. Uh, New York. Oh yeah, uh, Santos Party House. Santos Party House. I remember that was our very first like New York City proper show. It was actually one of. It was not the first U.S. Intervals gig. That's a funny story, but it's a different story. But this was like the first like legit. Okay, we're on tour with some like I mean, we're on tour with Misery Signals. Like I'm like holy you know pinch me kind of moment. But I just remember like coming on stage. I I absolutely tailored the set to you know like show people like yeah this is heavy and it's aggressive and it's all the things you want it to be but i'm also gonna play some like really colorful lead lines and like play a lot of guitar so you know like buckle in like this is what this thing is and i just remember like the neck tat like fully pierced like big tough guy you know kind of dudes in the room just after the first song, after they realized they don't have to stand there with their arms crossed and confused, I remember, you know, we started to maybe get into some stuff that's like verging on fusion and like some grooves and some pockets that don't exist in that world. And guys are like just vibing out. I'm seeing like stank face in the crowd. People are like, oh, you know, you're getting that reaction. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm loving the battle here. I'm loving like winning over the tough guy in the back of the room. That's like, when are you going to scream? Like when, where's your vocalist? You know? And then it's like, dude is at the merch table buying a shirt and like calling his buddy who loves guitar. Oh, you'll never believe, you know? So it was really cool to like see that and to kind of be on the cusp of the wave of like that movement. Um, but even still early days, those were really early days. And then of course, you know, for, for those who, who know, or maybe those who don't, in 2014, we put out a record with a vocalist. And that was me sort of still exploring, like I had not ruled out that this music may or may not, you know, ever have a vocalist. And the opportunity had presented itself. Um, there was an individual who was playing bass with us, uh, playing bass, believe it or not, who was like w- well overqualified for that role. We decided, you know what, like if we're, you know, marketing this music under the guise of like progressive, you know, I kept feeling like I would, I was like the antithesis of like the genre name and what it stands for. If I didn't like try everything under the sun at least once. And maybe I was like naive enough to think that like, yeah, no matter what people are going to be with us on that. But then you start to realize like that YouTube comment mentality and like certain people are not really gonna go with you everywhere that you go. Um, so we made a lot of new fans that were like really into that record that had a vocalist and we kept the core. And then some people maybe were just like, Oh, this isn't the thing I thought it was. And, uh, you know, we, we toured that record for maybe about 110, 120 shows in 2014 and did a lot of really big tours and stuff. And I'm still really proud of it, but it wasn't the most honest iteration of the band. And it sort of presented the opportunity sort of like a fork in the road presented itself and you know i i really just intuitively and, and instinctually felt like we needed to sort of take the wheel again and head back in the direction where we got started and then just kind of like evolve and grow from there so that would be you know bring us to the shape of color in 2015 which i actually feel like is the inaugural 
LP for the band. You know, there is a full length with the vocalist, but it's sort of the outlier in the catalog. And then The Shape of Color in 2015, uh, just snuck it in that year, December 2015, was um, a record that took the band literally around the world. Animals as Leaders had me as um, direct support for um, an entire Europe tour and then an entire North America run. And preceding all of that, I did my first North American headliner, um, which was an absolute success. There was other stuff. I went to Australia that year and it was crazy. Like never would have thought... Right, yeah. you were off to the races at that point, yeah. No, yeah, that's... with a polarizing shift as well, kind of like the guitars yeah. were tuned up again, like we're back in standard tuning, like just a way different shift. But, you know, the music in the instrumental world was starting to become more prevalent. So there was a world for us. And then, you know, I've I found um, what where I feel the most honest, which was sort of where I began all along and um, just started to grow into that role. And now we're literally supporting you know the third installment in that um sort of uh this part of the journey um there was yeah. a, a record between the one i was just talking about and the where we're at now and uh we've done multiple laps around the planet and played some of the biggest gigs that uh the group has ever done live so um it just goes to show you how much instrumental music has grown in that time frame and you know, just to bring it back to where you started this conversation, the demographic is like 14 to 45. It's like there is this young world that is like super into instrumental music and that like they have all of these like bands to explore and there is like a world of instrumental music for them. It didn't exist for me, um, but I've arrived here sort of organically, if you will. And there's a pretty long sort of uh, preamble there, but like that's just, uh, that's sort of the the backstory on everything, I guess. Yeah, no, no, no. I appreciate you laying it out like that because I think it does, you know, it, it hammers home the point of the idea that when you start to see stuff happening that excites you and you, there is a tangibility to it as opposed to it feeling far off. It's the same way that, you know, people get into punk and hardcore. It's the, it's the exact same thing. That's, you know, they, when you see something tangible in front of you, that's what excites you and you try to execute it in some level. So I totally get that. Yeah. And community. I yeah, mean, that's just like so. the biggest thing is like, you could be a dream theater nerd, but like, that's pretty much all you had. You know, it's like, there's like dream theater and there's rush and then there's all the stuff before it like yes and steely dan and all this stuff and like weird proggy music from your dad's record collection but there wasn't like much and then okay you found steve Vai and you found joe satriani yeah and eric johnson and some of these guys and then if you really want to start digging further it's like okay now we're just in blues territory we're just in the weeds now it's like there wasn't much that was relatable to rock and metal so, but I loved all of it too because I love guitar playing and my dad has such good taste in music. I mean, I was, gr- I grew up listening to like Pat Metheny and like Lee Rittenauer and George Benson and like everything from smooth adult contemporary jazz to like weird left of center jazz. And, you know, he was sort of, my dad was sort of exploring that side of things at the time, uh, you know, come, being born in 1950. He grew up in, you know, during like the heyday for rock. He experienced it all. And then it's like, he had me a little later in life and he just like didn't have, you know, there's no more like pent up angst anymore. Now it's time to like explore some vibes, you know? So like I'm hearing all these great sounds of all these iconic guitar players growing up and that shaped like my ability to like have an appetite for understanding con- like how you can convey a story without 
the lyric and how the the guitar is more than enough to take you into all the places that you want the listener to go, you know? I'm excited to tell you about a new record from a band called Within the Ruins. The record is called Black Heart, and it comes out November 27th, 2020. This record shreds. I had heard this band's name for quite some time. It's coming out on E1 slash Good Fight Music, like I said, on the 27th. Let's listen to a song called Black Heart, and you will hear the punishment that I am talking about. Well, I haven't talked about it yet, but the track is punishing. So let's check it out. Yes, right? That's really, really good stuff. And this is their sixth record. Like, these dudes are not messing around. They've been on the road for quite some time. They're road tested. And uh, yeah, I just, I really like what they do. So go visit within the ruins blackheart.com and you can check out all the pre order packages, pre save packages, all that stuff. But again, within the ruins, Blackheart is out the 27th of November on E1 slash Good Fight great record check it out and so kind of on that tip you were uh, i presume born and raised in the kind of greater toronto area the gto as they call it scarborough baby born and raised ah, yes nice nice yeah, yeah that's a <clears throat> i think it's one of those things that for whatever reason i toured up there a ton and you know played so many shows at you know oakville and all the surrounding areas 905 and, hardcore man yeah of course dude yeah hamilton the almighty hammer but yep. but the, the thing that always impressed me about southern ontario in particular particular was just the the diversity of sounds kind of you know like and it you know it permeates through to uh you know where we're at now it's like very few bands you know sound alike but you guys obviously all play shows and you're all in kind of the same community together and uh i just always found it so endearing from that perspective was that uh you know as you started to kind of you know whatever playing bands prior to you know intervals and everything like that uh did you kind of notice that sort of you know weirdo community where it's like well it doesn't really matter what we sound like you know punk and hardcore bands can obviously play together and no one will bat an eye Absolutely. And like all my prior efforts to intervals were like definitely some weird stuff because me and my high school homies, like my best friends still to this day, like I played in a band called Speak of the Devil before intervals. And that was like my, you know, that was like my whole high school career was like just sinking our time into that. And um, we were always a sore thumb on, you know, a lot of shows because like, the majority of music coming out of here was always like rooted in hardcore metalcore definitely had more of that vibe and we had those like aspects to us but we were always touted i remember like you know i mean the band had only accomplished so much like we'd done you know some runs around ontario and quebec and stuff but like you know again for like a high school project like there was only so much um we were able to get up to at the time and um I remember Exclaim writing a review and calling us like a baby between the Buried and Me meets Protest the Hero. And I was like, I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, if that's where we hang it up, I'm good with that. Like, that's like, that's totally, checks, that checks out. Yeah. And it 100% <laughs> checks out. And our shit was weird, dude. Like, um, you know, still, I can still draw parallels to like where my head was at at that time. I, I definitely throw things up the center a little bit more in terms of like my melodic sensibilities are how I structure a song but um you know uh 
yeah, man, there was always a place for us though. Like we, we could still jump on any local show and like really feel at home. We always turned heads too, because like, you know, you go to a local show, whether it's in the 905 or it's in Toronto proper. And like, you're expecting to hear and see the same things, breakdowns, um, you know, mosh calls, maybe a couple of sick riffs, maybe a guitar solo if if somebody was feeling up to it but like you didn't you know you didn't see like too much variety in terms of like where the influences may look like they're coming from so when we would do shows like people were like wow like this is really different because we're doing all of those things but myself and the other guitar player david um we just like we just loved so like David was super into Opeth and like all, all kinds of other things that I wasn't like too clued into at the time. But like also his dad was like really into Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and stuff. So he was bringing that and I was like really into protest and between the barrier to me, but also like all the more pop punky stuff love, like my chemical romance and follow boy panic at the disco, um, AFI thrice, like all these types of things. So we were just bringing everything. It was the kitchen sink, but yeah, like we felt very comfortable in the, the Southern Ontario scene. Um, it's a shame that like the state of things, I mean, COVID aside, it's just a shame that like when the big bop closed and for the non Toronto people, uh, non-Canada people even like the Big Bop was like a multi-tiered venue like right in the heart of the city where you could see a local show on a Friday or Saturday and then things started to change of course you know you had to you had to get your band on you had to open the the show that was coming through on tour there was no longer like a place for local shows and then all of a sudden they turned that whole thing into a furniture store and then right. where's our local scene you know it just kind of petered out and I think that's the case for probably most like major cities like you don't really get to see like bills that are just all local anymore it's kind of sad um because yeah. a lot of that i mean to your point it's like a lot of that is transitory you know or yeah. it's very a couple of years you can do you know shows to record store and then it goes away and then hopefully in another couple of years something else picks up but yeah it's a it it's tough when you see those you know monuments to your childhood <laughs> go away and it's like oh man that sucks dude i remember advertising for band related things on telephone poles and MySpace and like all the like really OG stuff, you know, and like Southern Ontario absolutely had one of like the better scenes, you know, and it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this recently, like the sort of like the parallels you could draw between like like an Ohio scene at the time and like 905 um or at Southern Ontario like metal and hardcore like you know, if you looked at some of the bands that were happening at that time over there and they're like they're over there like geeking out about like dead and divine and like, and like Holly Springs disaster and like bands that the rest of America doesn't know about. Yep. But like there was like some, you know, and that's only maybe seven or eight hours away from us. So like that kind of checks out, I guess. But like that was back when local scenes were like really a thing. And I totally remember that. I mean, intervals actually came up at the very tail end of that era and having established myself in a band prior um, I knew the moves to make to get like you know my new music into situations where we could have opportunity and there weren't local shows intervals was actually never played a predominantly like local only show the first gig was actually opening for periphery the human abstract the contortionist and textures um, and like a 600 cap room not even maybe 500 cap room in Toronto and we were invited to open the show 
and that was the very first intervals gig and ever since then it was like just trying to get on you know it's like very National rare we just acts, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah and it was yeah. very rare we even did one offs it's not too long after that everything was like a run it was like we were we were supporting we were getting on stuff and um that you know so had a little advantage coming from the scene prior and kind of knowing what to do but yeah, yeah oh, i missed that That's- time man yeah, it's where you, it's. I mean, that that to your point, that's where you cut your teeth. If not only from you know, obviously playing in bands that you know might suck for a long time, but then knowing like just the machinations of you know putting on a show, getting you know yourself onto you know that one of five on a you know national touring show. It's like all those things you know add up to you know where you can feel uh, like like you said you can navigate the world a little bit easier, um, whether or not it's actually successful. It's a different story, but just the idea that you can navigate that web a little easier. So what was your, uh, you know, like your family structure coming up? Like you mentioned, obviously your dad was, you know, injecting a lot of music in your head, but you know, brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house. So I'm an only child. And, um, that checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm an only child as well. We can smell ourselves, uh, you know, from miles away. There you go. (laughs) So, um, well, right at the beginning of high school, I found out I actually have a half brother. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, and he uh, he and his wife teach. Um, they teach internationally. And when we um, connected, um, he was in. Um, I think when that all initially started to unfold, they were in South Korea, and then they moved to Nairobi, in Kenya, in Africa, and then now they lay their head in Shanghai. Wow. And uh, actually, Brian and Leanne, my my brother and and his wife came to my show in Shanghai. Actually, they came to see me play in China, which is wild. That was fall 2018. Um, was that, that that wasn't the first time you met them in person, though. Absolutely right? not. No, okay, that would have been. <laughs> I was gonna say, dude. Yeah, that would have been like next level weird. That's a story. <laughs> um, no, so. So we had established a relationship um, a few years prior, but um, Got it. for the majority of my life, you know, yeah, only child and um, dad's got great taste in music, not a musician, but his brother played guitar. So my uncle George plays guitar and definitely helped like get me on track early on and stuff. Um, What'd your and, parents do for a living? Uh, my dad's a TTC driver here in the city. So okay. for those that don't know, the TTC is the Toronto Transit Commission. So bus guy and my mom is self-employed and she does like residential cleaning and stuff like that she's always worked for herself nice and makes yeah she's her own boss so that's where i get that aspect from and um yeah um just grew up in a house with a lot of great music they both have wonderful taste in music and um you know my mom had me into a lot of different things when i was younger um you know like i got some of my earliest concert memories were like I saw all the heyday boy bands and stuff like, you know, now I would kill to actually see those shows, which is really funny. But like I saw like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC at the Maple Leaf Square. Uh, yeah. What is that? Ma- Maple Leaf Gardens? Yeah. Maple Leaf Gardens. That's it. Yeah. And uh, back when that existed, that's a it's a grocery store now, which is really sad. Um, but it was one of the sickest, most iconic venues in Toronto. And um so yeah, I saw Backstreet Boys and Sink in the Heyday. I saw Spice Girls, TLC, Whoa. Destiny's Child. Um, yeah, we had a we had a friend. So, so I was about to say, so like your mom was basically just like Aaron, like we're going to these. Ah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, so we had a friend. Um, I went to a Montessori school when I was younger, so I did okay. p- private education from like kindergarten until grade five. 
end of grade five. And um, yeah, my, we had a friend through the school who um, whose parents uh, or her, I, let me get this straight. Their mom was seeing somebody who was like, got the in with the scalpers tickets back in the day. So Ooh. we used to just get the hookups on all these shows that were just selling out like crazy. And we would just go to these like absurdly iconic concerts. And I was like so young. I was just like, yeah, this, you know, let's go. Like I didn't yeah, realize like you look this back on action. It, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, and saw, I mean, I remember seeing, I remember seeing um, Aqua at a mall in like Brampton. Dude, Aqua is so like that song, <laughs> Dr. Jones. Let's go, I, dude. Let's go completely. That song is so <laughs> damn good. Like play, yeah. That's, so much, I'm yeah. So jealous. So oh, jealous. Oh man, yeah. There's so much great music from that time, you know. So like, that's where like my, some of my first concert experiences. My first rock concert experience was um, uh, Mindless Self Indulgence, Simple Plan, Sum Forty One, and Trouble Charger was somewhere on the bill too. I think. Oh, dude, what a stacked lineup at the oh, Cool my House, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's Jeez, go. Man seriously yeah I remember, oh yeah dude i remember msi like dude runs out in a tutu like i've never seen any just like a full like a ballerina covered in blood i'm like oh okay so <laughs> like it's a little it's a little different than destiny's child <laughs> oh this yeah yeah i remember um yeah that and i remember like oh man i mean i got a lot of random early concert memories like i saw we saw creed at the molson amphitheater very legitimate, which I mean, is obvious. Canada's the, heroes, right? The, the <laughs> Creed, Canada. Yeah, I I'm mean, just kidding. I'm we, just kidding. <laughs> dude, let's go. But yeah, they. I just remember how sick the mix was. That's the first. That's the first memory I have of kick drum in the chest. Oh, yeah, I was sure. like, that, that whoa! Feeling, yeah. I was like, damn. So like, yeah, crazy build too. It was like Twelve Stone was opening. If you know that band. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And like, you know, got to my first Edge Fest. We saw Goldfinger. Nickelback played that year. Great. Um, and then just did like a ton of Warp tours and like all the club shows and stuff. And I saw Strung Out at the Phoenix. That was a huge one for me. Yeah. Um, love that well, band it's so a, much. It, it's, a, I mean, you mentioning that you had all these, you know, kind of uh, disparate music experiences was, it, it makes sense into the kind of, you know, the let's throw everything in a blender uh, approach that, you know, kind of you have. In, I love you, everything, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like nothing, nothing is off limits. You know what time it is? It's the holidays. And that means you need to go to rockabilia.com and use this code PC100Words that gets you 15% off your order. And if you do that now, you will be ahead of the game getting all of the possible gifts from your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends, whatever it is. Because let's be honest, this holiday is going to look nothing like previous holidays. So you're going to need to do your shopping online. And what makes you look cooler than the newest gear from your favorite bands? Like you can buy your dad a Led Zeppelin shirt. You can buy your younger brother like a, you know, Bring Me the Horizon shirt, whatever it is that they are into. Rockabilia has it. They are a independent company based out of the Midwest. We'll ship it to you fast. Amazing customer service. And you are supporting these bands in a real way because this is all officially licensed merch. That's an incredibly important part of this whole transaction. These bands are seeing the money from it. This is not some horrific bootleg. You are going to be supporting these bands in a real way. And since no bands can tour right now, this is a real, real shot in the arm for them. So go to rockabilia.com. Again, use the code PC100Words 
And uh, that's what we got going on. So thank you very much, Rockabilia, for your continued support and buy some presents for the holidays, rockabilia.com. And so, you know, as you started to kind of, you know, grow up and obviously get into high school and start to, you know, really dedicate yourself to, you know, music and playing in bands and stuff like that. Was there ever a point where your parents were just kind of like, you know, like, I'm glad that we set them on this road of, you know, introducing them to music and taking them to concerts and all that sort of stuff. But like, was there a point where they were like, Aaron, what are you bringing home? This is like way too wild. Uh, You know, like, I I don't get this. Uh, Or were they generally pretty permissive? No, man, they're into it like all the way. That's amazing. Like love it so much to the like, you know, early bands of mine were like jamming in the basement. Shit tons of noise, like just yeah. drum just kit flying. Your parents. Oh yeah. <laughs> like one story bungalow in in Scarborough. Like, like if you were my neighbor or you were like walking past like the house at that time, like just full tilt, like riffs and just aggression, just like flying out of my basement with the windows open. Like we just <laughs> We did it. We did it all here. Um, and yeah, like, uh, they're still to this day, like so wholeheartedly into everything that I've, you know, was doing musically prior to getting this off the ground. And now like, I don't know, like anytime I see my parents, like they're rocking, I call it the uniform, but they've always got like intervals merch so good you know they got like yeah signed vinyls up and like you know like they oh they're so 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 into it yeah you know like my mom always said like her famous line is always like oh i birthed i birthed so many bands out of this house you know that's like her thing you know she loves it so yeah and i'm very thankful for that honestly because um i know that that's not always the case with this type of stuff and um look i was going to do it either way of course. But uh, it's just so cool that they're like so into it. And like every time we touch base, like they're so stoked on the numbers and what's going on with this and that. And like they know the inner workings of the business because, you know, we we're fully independent. This this whole operation is out of pocket. And, you know, my, my parents know my manager. And, you know, like it's just like a it's a grassroots like hometown operation. Like yeah, it's a small bit, small business, man. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly absolutely. What you're they and they love they love it so much. So yeah, shout out to mom and dad for sure. Well, I, and I love I appreciate you painting that picture because I think that you know people uh, are very lucky not only when they have the supportive parents like you're you're speaking about, but when you have that kind of uh, band house, so to speak. You know, when you have these parents that are just like, yes, you can ruin my Sunday for five hours, <laughs> as you just you know completely like are terrible and like you like you said, you know, turning it up to eleven and just completely bumming everybody out. But like oh, you yeah. know. But that idea of your parents were excited because not only did they get to meet all of your friends, but they got to hear what you were kind of doing creatively. And they knew that you were, you know, ultimately safe and like not up to no good because they were literally, you know, they, I'm sure they were like, you know, your, your parents are bringing you like, hey, you want some snacks? Like, you know, they were excited because <laughs> you're in the house. Yeah, they um, honestly, they just wanted to do whatever they could to to help sort of, you know, um, yeah. foster that. And then of course we outgrew the playing in the house. So like my dad went out and found us like our first jam space. Nice. I you thought know. you were going to say he, he built, he built something in the, the backyard. No, not, <laughs> a, not, a, not, a, no, not the Scarborough. Uh, there's not enough room for that. Um, no, but, uh, like he had gone to like, he had some buddies that would like, you know, 
jam on the weekends or like play covers and stuff and like he was always going to like hang at these like various like jam spots and stuff and there's like a few gems throughout like scarborough i mean of course you know toronto has like rehearsal factory which is like a franchise and Mm-hmm. There's like various other things. We couldn't get downtown though. We're all out here, right? So like most of my dudes are out from, you know, this way, like Scarborough or like the beaches and stuff. So East York or whatever. So we needed a place where we could all link up and like you could take the bus to get to to practice, you know. So um we uh we had our eye on a spot that my dad like had been to like a few hangs at and like there was units available and it was literally an industrial building. It was actually a heating and air conditioning company that just owned this giant building where dude just had an office in the back, but everything else were just these units that he rented. And like, there was definitely some sketchy people living in there and like some weird stuff going on. Like the, the, the superintendent is a guy that I'm pretty sure still lives in that building. Shout out to, Shout out to Red. He goes by Red or Big Red. Um, Tim Big Red Butson is his name to be to be precise. But the, he was the super, and he was just living in the place and like tiny. He 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 had like half half of his apartment was drums. This guy he was like a, he could do like every Dream Theater song. You know, this is just like kind of like random slice of of history. But like we would practice in a place like that. My dad found that spot. We would pay a monthly rent to like jam in there you know it's like a unit with a rolled up garage door and like a little kind of like half riser for drums in it and just it was just like a clubhouse you know so we outgrew the the home and we started to jam there and then uh i literally did that until intervals was sort of like born of necessity just you know from like all of us sort of growing apart musically and wanting different things and I just, you know, was starting to figure out this type of stuff I wanted to make. And, you know, um, I'm kind of like a no excuses. Like I want to be the one, you know, to be accountable for everything kind of thing. So I was like, well, you can program drums now. So I'm going to just like make some demos and see what happens. And and that's like where this whole thing was kind of born after that era, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And so beyond, you know, I mean, music clearly consumed you and you, you were, you know, very focused on it as you were, you know, going through high school and doing all that. Yep. Was there any other concept of like, here's my life path? Like, you know, I, hey, maybe I'll, you know, do this. I'll be a teacher or something like that. Or was it always like, uh, I'm just going to figure out something to do with music, whatever that may mean? Yeah, music, 100%. I was in a okay. music theater. I was in a music theater based high school. So, I was the only guitar player in a large ensemble doing like Broadway tunes and stuff. Okay. I got, I, I was like getting credits, like literally in a, it was like compulsory to do. You had to do the, um, choir aspect, the acting aspect, and then like choreographed like dance and all that stuff. Everything it was a full 360 music theater program. You had to audition to get into the school. Like my home school is pretty rough and there's like no opportunity for arts. My mom actually had me audition for um, a classical guitar program at a, a school called Earl Haig, which is like pretty far from here. My life would have been very different had that had happened because it's like you had to get to school for like 7.30 or like 7 a.m. or something to like do classical guitar in the morning before school even started. And I would have had to have taken a bus like that took forever to get there and stuff. And I auditioned for the program and like I was so young and I didn't know like when not to show your hand like you know like the cards that are up your sleeve and i had already been accepted to the music theater program at wexford which is the school that i went to and in the audition like 
I had like it slipped and I said that I had already been accepted to another school. And then when we got the results back for like my audition for Earl Haig, they were like, yeah, we absolutely would have taken him in for the program, but it's such a tight and tough program. And there's only a certain amount of kids selected. And he already said he got into another school. So we gave it to someone else. <laughs> so I, like, yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Um, but I'm you know what I'm so much happier because that's where I met all of my like long longest term friends and, and the guys that ultimately I did, you know, start a band with, start two bands with actually. There, two, there was another iteration of the band prior to Speak of the Devil. But um yeah, music hundred percent all the way. And then like, you know, I did I played guitar in like rent and like Greece and like Pirates of Panzance and like sure. God Spell and all right. You were things. a working musician. Like that's what you were going to do. Yeah, no matter what, yeah. you know. And we thought about like post secondary, like maybe I go to Humber College and get a jazz degree. Um, and then a lot of people we knew at the time were trying to talk me out of it. They're like, you're just going to turn into the gig hunter, you know, unless you you take those credentials and you find a way to become like a sideman for a pop person or like, you know, you're you're if you're passionate about making your own art, you're going to feel pretty shortchanged when you realize that you're just like getting a degree to play other people's music. Mm-hmm. So that didn't sound very appealing. And we looked at the production um, course um, for recording and stuff at Metalworks, uh, which is like a recording school here just west of the city and um it was very expensive it's private tuition of course and um i had zero experience with recording at the time i was like you know i could certainly learn um but i don't know if that's the vibe so we just kind of like unanimously decided that i would just take some time off after high school to like work and kind of figure out what it is that i wanted to do and i was working some odd jobs and stuff and then i got a job at steve's music which is uh probably the you know the most iconic music store in toronto it's the corner of queen and spadina like right in the fashion district and it's a montreal run company um with uh at the at the time they would have had an ottawa location as well so there was three stores but i don't know if ottawa exists anymore so it's montreal and toronto and uh it's like a box store you know it's a family-run operation commission sales environment I started in the drum shop because it was so hard to get jobs there. I had a couple of people that were rooting for me at the store. Um, one of my bandmates was actually like just leaving the drum shop and uh, they pitched for me to work there. At the time, extremely passionate about drums. I should actually mention that drums was the first drums are the first instrument I wanted to play, but just, you know, it didn't line up that way. Um, sure. But I was, you know, learning so much about drums by playing in bands with drummers. We had it like a beater kit in the house. I love drums so much. Uh, did I know enough to work in a drum shop at the time? No. But did, you know, do I punch above my weight and agree to things that I'm not quite capable of? Always, yes. So I, you know, I said, yeah, like I can absolutely work in the drum shop. So I learned, you know, trial by fire working there. And then I uh, made it downstairs to the front counter and I sold pedals and, accessories and strings and things like that and then i was promoted to the guitar floor and worked side by side with the guy that sold me my first electric guitar like maybe 12 years prior or something ridiculous like that which is still crazy to me but ended up being like second for sales in the store for a while and like i was really passionate about that i love retail and customer service and i love product and gear and i'm a nerd so it was really fun to like sell guys that were like me or people that are older that are passionate about guitar like the gear but also like families that are getting their kids started and like it was just great i love that did that for a long time and that was a great jump off for me to like 
meet so many people in Toronto and people in the music industry and stuff. And like when I was making the first intervals demos, I was working at Steve's music and like constantly able to get the music in front of people and people were interested in what I, what I was up to, you know, whether it's like I'm showing somebody a guitar and I'm playing a riff and like, wow, your style is really different. Like, do you make music? And then it's like, bam, here's a link. You know, so it was a really great jump off for me, but like it was always going to be music. Basically, there was no way around that. So, yeah, that was always yeah. the plan. <clears throat> no, that makes sense. When you were, uh, you know, when you started to kind of experience the, you know, touring life, uh, did you immediately, um, I guess, enjoy it? Did you gravitate towards it? Was it, uh, you know, odd because all of a sudden you're, you know, around people all the time and like, you know, maybe being an only child where it's just like, well, I'm not used to being with people 24-7. I need my alone time. How did you kind of navigate that as you, uh, you know, became accustomed to touring? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Uh, honestly, man, like, even though I was an only child, I've always been a people person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so kind of a no-brainer for me like being on tour felt natural i am um, throughout all of high school again i was part of an ensemble um i'd always done team-based things when i was younger i do like my you know my space and my personal time and stuff and like you know yeah being an only child will sort of like lead to that um but also yeah no i was totally comfortable with it to be honest and like it catches up with me maybe like a month plus into tour, but like I, I've got pretty good bandwidth for it. I'm good. And now there's more longevity in it, of course, because you know, we tour in a bus and everyone gets their own space and stuff. So like I'm definitely better better with it now. I was never right. like that over the moon about the van life, but you know, <laughs> I got it out of my system when I was younger and my back could handle it. Yep. Um, yeah. No, that that makes sense. Cause I the only reason I ask is because I know some people like you, you have the notion of what touring is. And of course, when you're young, it's really exciting. And then, you know, sometimes you have to experience, you know, the highs and lows of what a tour may bring. And, uh, you know, the idea of the suspended state of animation where it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, all my friends are doing things at home and like, you know, I'm on tour. Like it's exciting, but like, you know, life goes on or whatever. And so just all those things kind of, you know, ping ponging around your head. Yeah. And it's like always so hard. Even now these days, like you come home and people are like, so how, how was, you know, how was the tour? And it's so hard to like quantify that for people because like there's just aspects of the day to day that they're just like, no one's going to understand unless they've done it before. Right. And that's just North American touring in a bus, like forget international stuff where like, Every day at 5 a.m., you're in the lobby of the hotel, and then you're like getting on a flight at 7 a.m., and then you're flying from like Bangkok to Taipei. You know, it's like people, you'll never, they'll never understand that and what that feels like to run on three hours of sleep every night for a month straight or whatever. And yeah, we always make sure. this joke like, we being like me and like, you know, my crew guys or like the band guys was to make this joke. Like when you come home from tour and you know, you're at like a family gathering or something and like you, you know, like you ask grandma, like if the shower is all sick and is there towels? <laughs> totally. <Do> you, <laughs> you know what think? I mean? Or what time is catering up? You know, it's like, it's dinner. What are you talking about? Catering. Right. Exactly. You got good bath products in here. <laughs> Right, yeah, like is the shower all sick is like the que- just like the question of the day, or like oh, you go up to course. a r- random family member and it's like you have two seconds to tell me what day it is. Right, you know I mean? it's like things that people just don't understand the humor. They don't like you're just like oh yeah, yeah. I'll just get two, in the two. group chat and cry right. over here. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, two, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Sure. W- one of them is the idea that, um, you know, in, in my definition, whether or not, you know, you, you would, uh, I guess, classify it as such, like I would define you as like secretly successful where it's like, you know, clearly the, you know, you've been doing it for a while. I mean, like you said, almost a decade and have been building up over time. And yes, there have been like leaps in the popularity of, uh, you know, the band and the music that you're creating, but never to the point where it, uh, you know, jumped up like 17 different levels. You know, it's like, oh, I'm playing 200 cap room. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Six months, I'm playing a four thousand cap room. Like you haven't jumped up that huge. Uh, you know the, those those plateaus have been kind of like a uh, you know a slowly evolving graph. Um, and it's one of those things that I think because of that, it kind of helps the longevity of bands and artists in general when you don't have these huge leaps because all of a sudden you have to navigate this world that you're like not really ready to navigate. Is do you kind of notice that trajectory, or is that something that you think about, or am I completely off base? <laughs> no, it's you're one of the only people I've actually heard like kind of frame that the way I see it. I actually believe that the slow burn, slow burn equals longevity, and like okay. it's in it's even in that phrase like slow burn. It's not just an explosion, you know. Um, I think that that actually does equate to just the ability to continue doing this for longer. Like you just have more staying power that way. Um, you know, at this point, if like the room size is doubled or tripled on us, could we handle it? Yes. I mean, we bring a full size production into no, any space we go to. Um, I even pride, you know, try to pride ourselves on that one. One when it comes to international stuff, of course, we don't have like the lighting rig and all the like the fancy things we can do when we're in North America. But like, we always bring our A game, no matter what, wherever we are. Um, you know, COVID sort of shuffled the deck. So you know, will room sizes triple or quadruple for us out of nowhere? No, it's not happening for anybody. Um, so. The, the playing field has been sort of leveled, if you will. Um, but in terms of overall trajectory, I think that that like slow burn is just, it, it just creates an ethic within like the camp that allows us to kind of handle anything because we're so used to just cranking out like a full production everywhere, no matter what. And um, we've always, you know, punched above our weight like i always try to invest in the act um you know a lot of the early touring was like we were doing things that um i just remember like label bands like that were touring with me like how are you guys how are you independent and you can afford to do like what right and i'm like yeah well because i want to do this for a really long time you know it's not like one i mean Yes, sometimes we slightly reach outside of our means. That's not the case anymore. The company is healthy and everything is like totally good. But was I willing in the early days to take risks so we could seem larger than life early on? Yes, absolutely. And I think that just, you know, bringing that aspect no matter what has like laid the groundwork for us to really settle into things so that, you know, when we go out and we do a headliner, like we're super dialed, we're ready for whatever. Um, and then just like in the bigger picture, like more of a macro take on things like there's a there's a really healthy catalog of music that exists. It's all soul owned by this company. Um, Intervals is 100% a means to my end. This is my job. Um, it's my baby. I eat, sleep and breathe it. Um, 
And, and I think yeah. into that, this that dovetails nicely into this question where, you know, the normally, uh, and this is kind of a very generic statement, but, you know, people can attribute, you know, lyrics and vocals to expressing emotion. Like, you know, that's the most quote unquote real way, or I guess most direct way that you can express emotion, but uh, especially in music. You know, I mean, clearly, you know, you, you, I know, disagree with that statement because, you know, <laughs> I, I notice, especially myself, like, you know, the, you know, hearing uh, some of your new record and then, you know, the records previous, like there is, a, you know, not only a musicality, but, you know, a, a emotional resonance to what it is that you are trying to express that, you know, is clearly not uh, soaked in lyrics. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that people you know, maybe express that idea to you where it's just like, you know, oh yeah, like this is, you know, Aaron's just this, you know, really talented composer and whatever, but it's just like, you know, it's, it's robotic. It's like, whatever it's, you know, masturbatory, like, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, how, I, I guess how, I, there maybe isn't really a question that's couched in this, but like, you know, do you kind of, uh, I guess, see that reflected back on you or do you, uh, you know, do you just disagree with that wholeheartedly where it's like, well, yes, there's a lot of emotion into this because, you know, like you said, you eat, sleep, breathe and live this thing. Mm multifaceted question um, or I'm concept. Sorry. No, it's all yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Look, so I think that that applies to, I think it can apply to mm -hmm. um, some of the music in, in this realm. I think that instrumental music, I think everything prior to this like newer wave, like there's definitely some very prolific music. Um, but the majority at a glance feels like backing tracks with flashy guitar on top. There's not a lot of interaction between the lead um, sort of, you know, the focal role of the guitar and the compositions. I'm talking sort of, you know, more so about like late eighties, early nineties stuff. Granted, there are some iconic releases that aren't that, but for the average person who would just like, okay, like let's take an hour and find some stuff. You might have a hard time. Um, if we're just talking about that era, you know, you might f hear this stuff and think that it's maybe a bit vacuous or it's a little bit self-indulgent or whatever, like masturbatory, like you said, you know, um, it can come off that way. Um, now this, like, and this just takes us right back to what I was sort of framing at the beginning of the discussion, which is that I don't think that holds up anymore. And I think that in order to, uh, bear the torch um, in this world now, especially because there's so much of it. You have to tell a story. You have to compose. You have to compose. Period. And that's that's the thing is it's it's not just guitar exercises with the track being an afterthought. It's the interaction between your instrument as you know, and I don't even want to call it like the vocal because it's, you know, that sort of takes away and it sort of sells the point that you're sort of like um, sort of that uh, devil's advocate sort of uh, notion that you're posing. It's not a vocal. It isn't. It's an instrument and it is emotional and it is dynamic and it is complex and it is nuanced. Um, you know, um, the way you articulate a note or a phrase, I mean, it's endless these are the painstaking conversations and dialogues I have with myself when I'm just working out a seemingly simple phrase, something that whether it's the chorus and it's just a single note top line 
or if it's just four notes in you know in a certain segment i i toil over like how it's performed and there's there's a there's a universe between the left hand and the right hand respectively so maybe some people have to be clued in to understand that maybe others don't and a lot of the listener base at this point are people that like love to listen to this music when they study because it's cerebral or they love to game to it. You know, I love finding out that like fans aren't necessarily just musos or musicians themselves. And this is what they're taking away from it is that there is, there are layers of emotion. Um, I am telling you something. Okay. I'm not spelling it out with words or letters, but I am absolutely telling you something. There is congruent motif between multiple pieces in a given body of work. In fact, my latest record, I'm referencing themes from the record prior. If you can't figure out what I'm trying to say to you, and I'm not being obvious about it, but if you can't see that I'm I'm trying to leave you breadcrumbs or these these threads and weave it all together, then maybe maybe the music's not for you. Maybe you're not listening close enough. Maybe you need to ask yourself what you listen to music for. Somebody, a, f- a friend of mine, brought this up recently. He's not a musician. He's always been a really big fan of what I do, all the music I'm passionate about. This is just somebody that I grew up with in high school. And he was talking about how he's always got instrumental music on. He loves like Snarky Puppy and he loves bands like Lettuce, bands like, um, you know, uh, um, oh, I mean, the list goes on. Those are just, you know, some examples. Uh, and, you know, Sister's Over, he's making dinner and she's like, how can you listen to this? And he's like, what do you mean listen to what? She's like, I I don't know. I can't latch on to anything. And he goes, well, what do you listen to when you listen to music? Oh, I listen to the vocal. Okay, so is it music still with there's no vocal? Or is it only music because there's vocals? And she's like, oh, that's a good question. Right. And I'm like... That just that alone really gives me a window into you know the average person does feel like they need somebody to explain the moment. Uh, what you know, whether it's like the cliche heartbreak scenario or or something that you know you latch onto that lyric and you're like you derive your own personal meaning to it, and it's like trust me, I get that, and I love music with vocals. But people who are having a hard time connecting with music for the sake of music, they, I think they need to slow down and ask themselves, like, what do I listen to music for? Do I have the ability to actually listen to this universal language and derive literally nothing from it? That's, that's scary to me, actually. It's a little freaky to me. And I definitely don't want to come off as like elitist because I make instrumental music. My biggest uh, influences are not instrumental artists. Like, I'll just throw that out there. But... I think it's really crazy when people, you know, they can't find something in the music, right? So, you know, all of that is to say that modern instrumental music, especially guitar-centric music, is 100% nuanced and emotional. And it's there, I promise. And if you don't think that it it is there, like if you're having a hard time finding it, I implore that the onus is on you for how you consume music. It's not because it's masturbatory or self-indulgent or there's nothing you know now i began this whole point by saying i think that it applies to certain things yes there is a lot just like with any genre it is oversaturated there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of people that have the tools to make this music program drums 
some keys, some program bass or what have you, and they play guitar on top of it. There's a lot of music that people, you know, throw around or things that even come up on Spotify and stuff. And yes, it is possible to hear that and feel nothing. I, unfortunately for those, I just feel like they're, they need to just continue. They just need to work a little bit more to find their voice and find what allows them to convey their emotions. And they just may be experiencing some sort of subluxation or something that's not allowing them to convey the thing they're trying to tell you. If somebody releases a body of art, whether it's a painting, music, whatever, they are trying to tell you something. Um, this music though is very challenging to cut through all of the noise because there's so much. And then you couple that with the challenge of certain people not knowing how to listen. It doesn't create a healthy environment for it like hitting home the minute they hear that. However, you can definitely hit a home run with those people. You have to have nothing in the way. There needs to be nothing in the way of you and what you're trying to say. And it takes time to find your voice and to really just trim the fat and get right to the point. Um, a lot of guitar, modern guitar players lose the plot with this. Um, and then the ones that are um, household names in the genre, touring constantly, releasing records that have high hack- accolades and, and are, are warmly received. It's clear that it's for all the reasons I just described. So, yeah, a pretty heady sort of concept, but like you're totally right. Like some people do, it's 100% possible to perceive the music as empty, but it's not just, it's not always just on, you know, that given artist. And I will say, you know, to their, to their um, fault, maybe at times they aren't conveying their ideas properly. But I also implore the listener to just like, check in for a second with yourself about what music is for you and then ask yourself if you're listening properly. Sure, yeah. And and there there are so many different ways that people can extract uh you know their own personal taste out of music and you know frankly it kind of goes back to what we were saying towards the very beginning too like you know some people may not be ready. It's like you know right. based on age or based on timing and it's like all of a sudden someone could be uh, you know, 23 years old and listen to, you know, intervals for the first time and then the clouds part and they're like, oh, I get it now. And it's like, that's, yes. and it's, and then that's a beautiful, beautiful process. Absolutely. And like, you know, just to take it like another step further, um, there's two things that come to mind. One, um, there's so much music in the world of, you know, instrumental music, just music in general, whether it's jazz, classical, whatever, that I just couldn't, I couldn't hear or understand prior to, you know, maybe recently or, you know, just whenever, like sometimes there's things that you just weren't ready to hear yet. You know, things yeah. that you've been trying to get your head around, you just don't quite understand. Um, and then all of a sudden, something that like just never gelled with you all of a sudden, oh, I get that. Now I understand what it is they're trying to say. Or, you know, to be more precise, like a lot of the time, it's harmony in in this type of music, you know, it could be a, a series of chord changes or it could be a certain approach like um, certain, you know, um, modal approach or just overall harmonic approach. Like, you know, take a given moment from a song like um, uh, I'll actually use an example. A lot of Alan Holdsworth music and maybe some of your listeners don't know who Alan Holdsworth is. And, you know, they could go YouTube that and then go, OK, wow. Yeah, that's definitely hard to listen to or I don't understand what's <laughs> happening here. Sure. Um and that's 
totally fine. And I'm really glad we're talking about this because it sells the point that I was discussing before. I think a lot of us aren't ready to hear. I mean, I think sometimes even Alan isn't ready, wasn't ready to hear Alan, you know, rest in peace. Um, but what a legend, you know, and the music was so beyond him and the band that it takes time to understand and to listen and to find how to digest that. And then I'll go back and revisit those tunes, knowing that like years prior, I never had the ability to understand it. And then it's your journey and the things, the other experiences that you have that allow you to then one day go, okay, yeah, absolutely understand the harmony there. I understand his choice of, you know, whatever the phrase was over that given chord change. Like it used to make my skin crawl or it used to just pass through one ear and out the other. Now I totally understand. Um, after I spent a lot of time touring with animals as leaders, there's a lot of different harmonic um, possibilities that I never understood. And even things that they were doing in their early material where I'm just like, yeah, I don't get that. I don't understand why you would, you know, um, like for the musos out there, like I was really adverse to the sound of fourths for a long time. A fourth is for, you know, guitar guys. It's like, you know, a root and four notes away. So it's like the, it's like the smoke on the water chords, like, you know, the little dyads that everybody picks up the guitar and plays. It's such a neutral and almost empty sound to me that I was like, I never understood why you would ever use it. And then all of a sudden I, I listened to the way Tosin uses fourths. And then I realized, where's that coming from? Well, he's inspired by bebop. He's listening to so you know, saxophone lines, piano approaches, a lot of things with that sort of approach to harmony. It's not really applicable guitar to guitar, but wow, now I'm hearing this. Now I'm really feeling this. Now I know that it's so useful. Then all of a sudden, listen to the way forward. You've never heard me phrase in fourths before. Boom. It's like I, right away in the chorus of Touch and Go in the first track on the record, I'm using, I'm sliding fourth dyads and, and I'm feeling really comfortable and I'm selling the melody. I had to figure out how to hear it and to feel it. You know, so it just takes time. You just have to be willing. And then just the last thing I want to say about that would just be, look, we we play shows in South Africa, all over Southeast Asia. We were just in India. I mean, like, do I have to say more that music is a, is, is a universal language? Right. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, I, I yeah. can't have conversations with the crowd. Like, they just laugh politely at my banter to make me feel comfortable on stage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have the most memorable experiences, like the most memorable experiences for this music and for what we've accomplished are in places where I could literally have not a conversation with anybody around me. Yeah. So if that doesn't make the point, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, Aaron, thank you so much, dude. This has been uh, really fun, and I appreciate you uh, going all over the place with me. Absolutely, Ray. Thanks for having me on, man. It was a really good time. Appreciate it. Yes, that was Aaron. And thank you very much to his publicist, Alec, for putting this uh, together, and then his manager, Rich, and just you know a bunch of friends pulling stuff together. I really enjoy you know helping people spread the word of good music because, yeah, like I said, Aaron's new record, Circadian, is really, really good. I was uh, I was floored by it, to be honest. I just didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but uh, I love it. So uh, yeah, check it out. You can stream it anywhere, buy some physical copies, all that other fun stuff. Next week is a pretty special episode because this is a person who I can almost guarantee you've never heard of, but he is so foundational to a particular scene within Southern California hardcore that, uh, yeah, I was just, I was really excited to have him on. His name is Andy Franchere from a band called Die Hard Youth and a band called With or Without You. Um, Tehachapi is a music scene that is like, you know, it's a really small town, but, uh, 
produced a lot of cool bands, like bands like the Warriors and, you know, did a lot of bands from the sort of, I don't want to call it Central Valley of California because that makes it sound like, a, you know, Bakersfield and Fresno and stuff like that. It's a little bit more south, but this is a person whose uh, story I wanted to get at because I find there's probably hundreds of people like him across the country that have played in bands and given back to the, you know, hardcore and punk community, but, you know, are not mainstay names. And I think Andy is uh, a really, really insightful guy. So that's what we got next week. And uh, I look forward to seeing you there. So until then, please be safe, everybody.